Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're very glad that you're joining us. Reason for Hope is a, it's an hour-long live broadcast which is guided by your questions on the Bible. That's right, you can send your questions in on the Bible live to our multiple platforms and we will delve into the Word to answer those questions. So if you have questions on the Bible, there might be a specific verse or passage of Scripture that you'd like to uh, delved into is delved a word i'm going to use it into more we use it a lot <laughs> we do yeah Del, okay well there's, there's a word <laughs> it just sounds funny almost, coming out of my mouth almost uh, on a semi-regular basis delved, you talk right. about delving into the word delving yeah i don't think i don't think i've uh, i really was in much into delving till i met you dave really <laughs> you, you you use the word quite a bit do i use the word I, a lot? yeah there so it must, must be very hip it was in, the delved in, in it was England. the the delving's okay it was yeah. the delved we're, we're going to sense we've of done the word. delved i don't so. know delved you delve i delve we all delve together yeah, i don't yeah, know that's anyway that's what we're gonna do so <laughs> send your questions in on our platforms oh there might be something going you're going through in your life even something you've experienced you'd like a biblical perspective on that or even things going on in the world or just christianity itself or other worldviews really any honest question you have as long as you know we're going to delve into the bible so i do use that word a lot and now i'm self-conscious delve, about we, it. delve we will delve we will and delve we shall my yeah. name is dave robson i'll be your host today with us uh, just the two of us today pastor scott richards he's a senior pastor here at calvary christian fellowship How yeah are you doing i'm doing great yeah our staff are falling like flies I know. But, uh, but i'm doing well that's right you're doing well i'm doing well the program continues that's right the show must go on indeed <laughs> that's right well thanks for making the time today to be with us and for providing this wonderful ministry oh it's um, so much fun it is yeah. it is it's a real blessing and there's not really many places people can just come with their bible questions and um have sure. those answered so um i'm glad to provide that for you had a reason for hope well as i mentioned reason for hope is a live broadcast We're with you monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m mountain standard time that's here in tucson arizona but of course you can join us all around the world whatever time zone that kind of hits you in. It's an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's a great place to, to find us. If you go to that watch live tab right there, anytime we're live, that's where you can view us. One of the many places at least. So click on that watch live tab at calvarychristianfellowship.com and you'll go out to our live page. Or well, the direct link for that is ccftucson.online.church. You'll see a countdown to the next time we're live. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events. Unless we are live, then you'll see the video. You can sign in with the username of your choice and send your questions in that way. I'll be monitoring all these platforms as we go along, um, and we'll get to as many of your questions as we can, as, can, as time allows us today. Uh, we are on Facebook as well, of course. Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson is our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Tucson. We will be live there as well. And of course, there's a chat function where you can send your question in. Don't forget to like and share us around if you've been blessed by the ministry. We'd sure appreciate that. Love to reach out to the people that you know and your, your sphere of influence. So there we are on Facebook, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We have an app as well you can download if you go to your app store. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You'll find our app right there. You can watch us on your mobile device, whether that's an iPhone or Android. But we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you have those devices or a smart TV, uh, add that channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, to your channel list. And you can watch us on your big screen in your living room or wherever that TV may be in your home. We're on YouTube, of course. Uh, the channel is called A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope on YouTube right there. That's a great place to go for archives if you missed a show. Whenever we've been live, it is automatically archived there on YouTube. So if you click on the live tab, you'll see a history of all the times we have been 
uh, live in case you want to recap on a show and of course we'll be live there as well as we go along and again don't forget to like and subscribe and share um, or you can copy and paste that into other platforms the video and all those kind of things as well and if you click on the bell you'll be notified when we are live you get a little reminder a little ding ding um, in case you're forgetful like me that's a great way to keep up with us as well so once again uh, youtube a reason for hope you'll find us right there pastor scott here is on twitter so if you're a twitter kind of person his handle is at Scott R4H, and you'll find him on there. He posts highlights from the show and uh, commentary on like world events, news events, and things like that from a biblical perspective. So it's very interesting and fascinating to follow along with him on Twitter. So Pastor Scott Richards on Twitter, Scott R4H, if you're on Twitter yourself. We're on Rumble. Currently, we post our archives there as well, but we're hoping to be able to stream live to there at some point, so be prayerful about that. But a reason for hope, Bible Q&A on rumble if that's a platform that you like to use and last but not least our email address questions for hope at gmail.com questions for hope all spelled out at gmail.com on the radio you are listening to the last show we did pre-recorded so you're kind of a day behind so to speak uh, actually literally <laughs> not even so to speak so use that email address questions for hope at gmail.com and we'll get to that question on our next show so keep that in mind if you listen on the radio you are a day behind and consider joining us on one of those live platforms when you're home and not on your drive time and uh, you can send your questions in live as we go along Whew. well with all that being said yeah. <laughs> pastor scott would you like to pray for us before we go any boy further? i would love to pray for us I will we, not we stop work you. without a net around here we'd better seek divine <laughs> intervention before <laughs> we go that. any further that's right lord thank you so much that we have this opportunity to be able to spend time in your presence to have this fellowship together with people literally all over the world that have uh, one thing on their hearts. They want to know your word. Thank you, Lord, that you tell us that if we search for wisdom as silver and uh, desire more than hidden gold, we are going to find the knowledge of God. And uh, you are far more interested in us uh, finding your truth than we are to find it. So, Lord, uh, as you promised that when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. We pray that you would miraculously and supernaturally guide our conversation into the subjects you want us to explore. Uh, we pray that the questions that are asked would not only uh, just answer the question that is on the heart of the person who's asking, but uh, you would use it in a sovereign way to speak perhaps to a hundred other people who might have the same question and never think to uh, send that question in. Mm -hmm. uh, Lord, we pray that uh, for those especially who are on the outside in, looking at a relationship with you, that they would understand how much you love them, mm -hmm. that you sent your son to die for them, and that he rose from the dead so that they could be forgiven and adopted into your forever family. I pray that many people all around the globe today would make a decision to invite you into their heart, to receive you as their savior, to put their faith and trust in you and be born again through your Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you're able to do this and so much more. Mm -hmm. uh, take uh, the conversation and lead it where you will. Uh, we are along for the ride here, but Lord, we know that when you guide and direct, you lead us to good places and great blessings. Mm -hmm. We look forward to that in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Well, often, Pastor Scott, you have something to share with us. Um, I appreciate you keeping the keeping your finger on the world events and things like that. Is there anything going on you'd like to Yeah, share? you know, well, normally when we take some time away from the program to do an update, it's a prophecy update, and mm -hmm. normally that is a forward-looking uh, kind of a, an endeavor. Actually, uh, the update that we have for you today is uh, looking back, mm -hmm. uh, looking back at why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. If you've ever been asked, say, by a non-believer, uh, well, how do we even know we have 
the Bible. Uh, you know, it hasn't been changed hundreds right. and hundreds and hundreds of times. Yep. Uh, everybody knows that. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting how the facts uh, don't line up with that uh, very commonly uh, quoted bit of con conventional wisdom. We got uh, two examples of that that uh, I found really encouraging, and I hope you will as well. One of them was uh, written on stone. Uh, in the Jerusalem Post today, there was an article uh, about uh, the discovery of inscriptions uh, that uh, were found in the, uh, the uh, archaeological structure called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Mm. Now, in our trips to Israel, I've been in Hezekiah's Tunnel a couple of times. Uh, Hezekiah's Tunnel was built uh, to solve a huge problem that Jerusalem had back in the day. Uh, the uh, main water source for Jerusalem is a thing called the Gihon Spring. In fact, it is a spring that still runs pretty well even to this day. Uh, but the problem with it is, is the Gihon Spring was outside the city walls. And if Jerusalem was, uh, say, besieged by its enemies, uh, surrounded, cut off from uh, going outside of the city, well, you wouldn't last very long without a reliable source of water. So, uh, very interesting, uh, King Hezekiah commissioned an amazing uh, architectural uh, endeavor uh, designed to take uh, the water from the Gihon Spring and bring it inside the walls of Jerusalem by digging through over 700 feet of solid limestone. Mm -hmm. And if you go to Jerusalem today, you can uh, actually, uh, if you're the more adventurous breed, uh, go through this uh, particular uh, aqueduct, uh, this tunnel that leads, uh, it'll probably even get up to about your waist at certain points, maybe even up to your chest. And uh, you can go from one side of Jerusalem and exit on the other. And it's uh, quite an amazing endeavor mm. that they were able to do that uh, without all of uh, the, the modern uh, discoveries that we have and the, the, uh, the, the tools and so on that, that make uh, something like that even possible. But uh, it was possible, and it was something that was done. In 1880, uh, this uh, tunnel that had been described in the Scripture was uh, uncovered by an archaeologist, and there was a dedication stone that talked about how the two teams that were digging on either side eventually met. Uh, it was kind of mm -hmm. like the Transcontinental Railroad uh, uh, meeting at Promontory, Utah, the Golden Spike and all that. Well, that's kind of what happened there. They finally met, they broke through, they completed this aqueduct, and uh, there was a plaque that dedicated that. Well, uh, there were some ambitious individuals that uh, essentially uh, knocked this plaque uh, off the wall. They kind of chiseled it out, and it is now in a museum in Turkey where it sits. Mm. But uh, interestingly, uh, a uh, archaeologist from, uh, the, uh, from in uh, Israel uh, decided to do a little bit more poking around in that particular area. Professor Gershon Galil, uh, he was the uh, former chairperson of uh, the uh, University of Haifa's uh, Department of Jewish History, and uh, did some more poking around inside of this, and he uncovered uh, some more inscriptions that were there in the well, uh, in the, uh, the aqueduct. Uh, and uh, the, the fascinating thing about this is that this ancient biblical inscription that uh, they found at this particular place uh, predates the earliest examples we have of Old Testament scriptures that have been copied 
by about 115 years. The previous record holder uh, was a, a discovery that was made uh, that uh, was uh, a, a tiny little uh, amulet, if you will, uh, that almost looked like a little cigarette butt that was discovered up in the area of Tel Dan. Uh, they found a, a, a tomb there, and uh, by carefully uh, unraveling this little silver uh, piece of archaeology, they found a copy of Numbers chapter 6, the high priestly blessing. The Lord bless you, keep mm-hmm. you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Uh, the Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Mm-hmm. It was written upon this. And so prior to this time, it, it dated roughly to, oh, say, around, uh, you know, the 600s B.C., and, uh, you know, we hear about the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls are an incredibly comprehensive series of Old Testament manuscripts. But they date, the earliest ones probably date to about 250 B.C. or so. We have the entire Isaiah scroll that dates to that particular time. And, you know, one of the things that's exciting about the Dead Sea Scrolls is that we can compare them with the earliest uh, manuscript of the Old Testament that we had in existence. It was called the Masoretic Text. Mm-hmm that was over a thousand years later than the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we Mm. discover that there has been virtually no change in the manuscript over Mm. a thousand years. So reliability of the Bible, fantastic discovery. So, you know, again, the uh, the Tel Dan discovery of this, these tiny little silver amulets that were buried with someone was uh, certainly a, a, a significant discovery. But this one that they found in Hezekiah's tunnel pushes back a biblical reference that we find, literally chiseled in stone, by probably about another 114 years. Uh, The inscription that was found there uh, in the tunnel, here's the verbatim quote. It was 11 lines, 64 words, and 243 letters. Uh, They found inside this, uh, these words, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, made the pool and the conduit, in the 17th year, in the second day of the fourth month of King Hezekiah, the king brought water into the city by a tunnel. The king led the water into a pool. He smote the Philistines from Ekron to Gaza and placed uh, there the Oreb unit of the army of Judah. He broke the images and braked in pieces the Nehushtan and removed the high places and cut down the Asherah. Hezekiah, the king, accumulated all in, his, in all his treasure houses and in the house of Yahweh, a lot of silver and gold perfumes and good ointment. Well, uh, according to Professor Galil, this summary inscription is arranged in literary order. It's not chronological. It's divided into five components, mm. the title, the water project, the wars against the Philistines, the reform, and the, accu- the accumulation of property. But the fascinating thing about this is that this inscription is quoting verbatim a passage that you have in your Bible today. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 and 4, and verse 8, chapter 20, verses 13 and 20, about King Hezekiah and what he had done during his reign. So, you know, once again, uh, the the, uh, amount of uh, uh, excitement about this discovery, uh, pretty intense because it's pushing back uh, our understanding of the reliability of the Old Testament text. In other words, the book of Kings, uh, we now know was contemporaneous with this particular building project, Mm -hmm. which pretty much dates the book of Kings uh, to uh, where the traditional view has always placed it. 
there uh, was uh, during the uh, kind of wild hair, rabid, uh, anti-supernatural bias uh, events of uh, the, uh, the of modern scholarship, scriptural scholarship in our day, that doubted that uh, any of these things probably uh, were written before the time of uh, anything in your Old Testament was probably written no uh, earlier than the time of Ezra, after uh, the people of Israel had gone into captivity and then had come back. Uh, he was called Ezra the scribe, and they said, well, you know, you kind of put all these myths and legends together. Well, here we see that blows that kind of theory right out of the water, right. uh, which is very, very exciting. But yeah. wait, there's more <gasps> in the uh, You Can uh, Dig It uh, files. Uh, a group <laughs> of medievalists, people that study medieval things, right. uh, I don't know if they're <laughs> big, big, that out. big Monty Python fans or not. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, a group of medievalists from the uh, Austrian Academy of Scientists, uh, Sciences according to a Jerusalem Post uh, article today, uncovered one of the most ancient copies of a version, a translation of the New Testament in the language Syriac mm. that has ever been discovered. Mm. And they found it in a very interesting way. Uh, they took a look at a, uh, a piece of parchment uh, that uh, had some writings on it that dated, oh, roughly around uh, a thousand years ago or so. Mm. But they noticed something that was kind of strange about it. And one of the things that you discover about parchments is that because they were rare and very valuable, they were reused. In other words, there would be parchments that people would have. They'd find an old parchment, they would erase it, uh, and then reuse it for something mm. more contemporaneous. Mm. Well, uh, one of the professors that was analyzing this particular parchment uh, took a look at it, and uh, Gregory, Gre Gregory Kessel was the one who did this, uh, and uh, had uh, uh, scientists uh, from the Vatican Library take a look at it because he thought that this might be one of those overwritten forms of parchment. Uh, and as they did, as they subjected this particular piece of parchment to ultraviolet light, they discovered that underneath this uh, particular uh, manuscript that was written about a thousand years ago, there was an ancient manuscript about 750 years earlier than that. Mm. It was a copy of Matthew chapter 12 in the Syriac language. Wow. Uh, scholars believe that it dates to roughly about 250 AD, mm. which would make it one of uh, the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament that we have, particularly a large section of it, yeah. an entire chapter. Uh, of the book of Matthew. Now, when I say it's a version, uh, you got to understand something about manuscripts and manuscript evidence. Uh, there are uh, examples of the New Testament in the original language Greek, uh, the language that it was written in. Now, we have, oh, just shy of 6,000 examples of these. Now, it's funny, when I first got into uh, the uh, avenue of defending the faith, and people say, no, oh, hasn't the Bible been changed hundreds right. and hundreds of times? I used to say there were 5,480 manuscripts. That was back in the day. Now there's closer to 6,000 because mm. new manuscripts are being discovered all the time. Uh, that was in the original language the Bible was written in, Greek. To add to that, we have over 18,000 examples or what are called versions. Now, this Syriac discovery that we're talking about here is a version because it is a translation of the Greek into another language that was popularly used roughly around the time of Christ. In this case, it was the language Syriac. Uh, and uh, we have over 18,000 and counting 
uh, examples of this, this new discovery being a really significant uh, addition uh, to that number. Mm. To add to that, we have over over 86,000 examples of verse quotations uh, in letters of early church officials Mm. one another from the first five centuries after uh, the time of Christ. Uh, And by putting all this data together, we can have a very high degree of confidence as to what the original manuscripts had to say. Now, uh, oftentimes, uh, and maybe you've heard this before, I certainly used to say it to people, and I've certainly heard it before. They'll say, oh, you know, um, you know, the Bible's been changed so many times. Yeah. It's kind of like a game of pass the secret, yeah. you know, at a party. You know, one person reads a little nonsense letter or a note, mm-hmm. and then they whisper it in the ear. Maybe you've seen this in a communications class or psychology yeah. class. And by the time you pass it down, say, like 20 people mm-hmm. whispering uh, mouth to ear, uh, the message becomes so distorted, you, you don't even recognize it anymore. Yeah. And uh, people go, oh, well, that's kind of what happened with the Bible. It just got distorted over yeah. time. But when we take a look at these kind of discoveries, like uh, this discovery of uh, this uh, Syriac translation, uh, we have to change the rules of how we got the Bible a little bit. It wasn't uh, something that, say, first of all, was whispered mouth to ear. It was something that was written down. You know, say we have uh, a group of people that are going to pass this message along and they're going to write this message down. Mm-hmm. They're going to hand it to the person next to them and they're going to write the message down, mm-hmm. not whisper mouth to ear. Would reliability of transmission go up? Yeah, yeah uh, obviously <laughs> it would. Now let's not make it a nonsense message, just something to amuse at a party or make an illustration in a class. Let's make it a message that is so close to the hearts of those that are passing it along, they'd be willing to die for it. Right. Would reliability of transmission go up? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would. Yeah. Let's not have one line of people passing this message along. Let's have almost 6,000 lines of people yeah. in their own language pass, writing the message down, passing it along. Yeah. Would reliability of transmission go up? Absolutely. Now, let's not stop there. Wait a minute. <laughs> let's have over 18,000 additional lines of people who understand that original language yeah. and then translate our message into the language that they speak. And then we take all the data together and we compare and contrast. Would reliability of transmission go up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's add 86,000 individuals to take parts of our message and, again, quote it to one another and put all of this together. Well, the the long and the short of it is even the most uh, hard-bitten, cynical skeptics out there, even the Bart Ehrmans and others like that get mentioned in these circles, will try to tell you, well, you know, uh, you know, this, you know, misquoting Jesus and, you know, we have this variation, that variation. But uh, the funny thing is you get to the end of their book, you get to the appendices and you discover that uh, even though they will say, well, we have this variation and that variation in these manuscripts, when we put it all together, even the Bart Ehrmans of this world have to admit that uh, no major doctrine of Christianity is called into question any of the still disputed passages. In fact, if we were to take every passage in our New Testament that is held as being in doubt as true to the original by scholars today, even the most radical out there, anti-biblical, anti-supernatural scholars out there, uh, and uh, had them come up with the ones they really don't think are true to the original, uh, we would come up with less than one half of one page of text. And as I mentioned, no major doctrine of Christianity is called into question in any of these disputed texts. So when we take a look at, say, the discoveries that have uh, happened 
uh, in Israel. Uh, the discovery that happened in Hezekiah's tunnel, for instance, the discovery uh, of that uh, tiny little uh, burial uh, amulet, if you will, mm. that was found in the area around Tel Dan that included Numbers chapter 6. We keep seeing the evidence for our Old and our New Testament being pushed backwards closer and closer and closer to the actual time. Yeah. Uh, you know, people say, well, 250 years, that's kind of, well, but that's not our earliest, earliest manuscript. Mm -hmm. uh, the Rylands fragment of John uh, in the British Museum now, it used to be in the, the uh, John Rylands uh, uh, Library, the University of Manchester. I think they moved it to the British Museum now. Uh, dates to probably no later than 120 uh, AD, and no one thinks it's an original. In fact, there are scholars who believe that it might be closer to 100 or less than 10 years after John wrote his gospel. So, you know, if anybody comes to you and tries to undermine your faith by saying, oh, well, you know, it's all been changed down through time, well, just ask them a question. Okay, how many times has it been changed? Yeah. And can you give me a specific example? Right. Usually they'll draw a blank and they will say, uh, well, you know, but, but everybody knows that. I, I can't give you a specific, but everybody, but he knows that. Just say, let me help you with this. Uh, you know, God seems to have been so concerned mm -hmm. that we would have a foundation of our faith, that we would be able to know with confidence that the Bible that we're reading was the same Bible that was being read mm -hmm. by people in Hezekiah's time, in the time of John, in the time of Matthew, and so on, that he has provided this wealth of manuscript and archaeological evidence yeah. to support uh, the truth that we have. And it doesn't surprise me. You know, Carl Sagan, the famous uh, skeptic, uh, once said that extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Mm -hmm. When we make the extraordinary claim, the Bible not only is the Word of God, but as Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will pass from it until all things are accomplished. Well, a jot referred to the tiniest Hebrew letter. It, it was like an apostrophe. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was the Hebrew letter Yod. Uh, a tittle was the tiny line that would differentiate one Greek uh, or one Hebrew letter from another. Mm -hmm. It would be like the difference between, say, a capital F, if you, ran, you, you wrote it uh, not in cursive, but just in, in uh, plain writing, mm -hmm. and a capital E. That tiny mm -hmm. little line yeah. right there between the F and the E is a tittle. Yeah. Well, what Jesus was saying is down to the crossing of the T's and the dotting of the I's, the Word of God's going to be preserved. Yeah. Boy, that's something to be excited about. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you can look at the Bible the same way ever right. again right. when you understand these things. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Honey, we had a question from, from Don. Um, there are so many, so many religions in the world. How do we know for sure Christianity is accurate? Uh, my religion is better than your religion, etc. Do we know for sure? Thanks. And we've kind of you know, answered that, I think touched on that. But a big thing is, as you mentioned, archaeology. I know there's other very big popular uh, religions, belief systems that talk about things happening in North America or that there's absolutely no yeah but you can't dig them <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no archaeological evidence right, for it as them. opposed to Christianity yeah which you can visit these places and <laughs> yeah and, and you know uh, Don I think that's a, an awesome question uh, I think it's it's one that I think is on a lot of people's hearts and minds and the question we need to ask ourselves is this okay you know with all the competing religious voices out there why do we take the message of Christianity seriously. Well, yeah. we could talk a lot about uh, the, the support for the message of the Bible. Uh, we could talk about the fact that uh, even though the Bible was written over 1,500 years on three different continents by over 40 different authors in three different languages, yeah. it agrees down to the crossing the T's and the dotting of the I's, the most controversial subjects known to man. Yeah. 
you know, it's it's amazing preservation. Uh, the uh, the supernatural quality of the Bible in predictive prophecy. Don, if uh, you read through Isaiah chapter fifty three, for instance, uh, the prediction of the suffering servant, uh, it it reads like the New Testament. It is just such a vivid portrayal of Jesus' crucifixion, written seven hundred years. Uh, before the fact 500 years before crucifixion was even invented as a form of execution that's impressive uh you know that's that's pretty impressive stuff but why do we believe in christianity uh is correct when all these other religions are wrong well first of all the radical claim of jesus he said in john chapter 14 and verse 6 don i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but by me Hmm. you know (laughs) that's a pretty narrow statement, isn't it? Uh, I was on a talk show in L.A. Uh, one night uh, where that subject came up, and uh, one of the other uh, religious spokesmen said, uh, there's a lot of different ways to take that. <laughs> and I said, name two. Yeah. Either Jesus meant what he said, that he is the way, that no one comes to the Father but by him, uh, or he was either right or wrong. You can't say that Jesus was one of equally valid religious sources of truth because this exclusive claim excludes the others. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, right. you, you can't dabble, you can't play cafeteria spirituality with it. You either have to say, okay, I believe Jesus is a valid form, uh, is, is the valid source of truth, or he's not. Because yeah. if he isn't the only way, uh, you can't say he's a good teacher. You, you'd have to say he's the right. worst teacher the world has ever known yeah. because he's saying something that's categorically false. You know, the other, the, and, and here's kind of the, 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 the nub of it, Don. It's this, you know, no disrespect intended, but name the founder of any other religion you want to name. Um, one thing they all have in common, uh, or will have in common, if it's one that just got made, the new one, yeah. is uh, they're dead. Yeah. Uh, all of them, you know, as we said, are moldering in the grave. But Jesus rose from the dead in a moment of history, a, uh, an event that can be verified to the satisfaction of any fair inquirer based upon not I feel like this is true, or I'm running with this particular herd and we all yep. believe that this is true, uh, not because my dear sainted grandma believed that and who, who you, you, you talking about my grandma. Uh, no, that's not why we believe it. Uh, we believe it because Jesus rose from the dead. Yep. He made that prediction. Three days later, he fulfilled it. No other religion you want to name can say that in a moment of history. Now, I know that there's some out there say, well, you know, I saw the Zeitgeist movie and they said that uh, Ishtar and Isis and all this other stuff, and that it was like, you know, you you discover what those, uh, say, Egyptian myths were really all about from their primary sources, not doctored up for, you know, this conspiracy theory laden the illuminati are all going to get us movie mm-hmm. that kind of takes this little departure apart from all mm-hmm. of that but you know you take a look at the differences of e- even some of the quote-unquote resurrection myths some people say mithrianism taught mm-hmm. that mithras uh rose from the dead interestingly we have no examples of mithrianism teaching that sort of thing until around 250 years after the time of christ mm. where do you think they got it yeah yeah, you know, wow, this Christianity stuff's, uh, this resurrection stuff's kicking up. Maybe we ought to get us some, yeah. you know. So, uh, you know, there's no historical evidence, no eyewitnesses that Mithras rose from the dead. But you not only have eyewitnesses who claim to be eyewitnesses, 
these eyewitnesses like Peter and John literally put their lives on the line, not because of a philosophy or a feeling, but for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. In John chapter four, they told the same people that railroaded Jesus into his crucifixion, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judge. But we cannot but speak the things which we had seen and heard. Now, talk about a radical change. Mm -hmm. Uh, These guys were the ones that uh, beat feet when Jesus was arrested by the mob. They all denied him and ran off and, and so on with the possible exception of the Apostle John. But they had had such an incredible life-changing encounter with the actual written Jesus that notice what they were willing to die for. Not a philosophy, not a feeling, but what they had seen and heard. Right. They saw the risen Jesus. They mm-hmm. heard his voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, to a man out of the remaining 11 disciples that were around, Uh, after Judas bailed, 10 out of the 11 disciples, according to church history, died brutal, grisly deaths. Mm. And uh, they could have ended the process at any moment just by saying, we made it up. It's a hoax. You know, well, you know, we we, we stole the body. You know, and and that's another huge thing, Don, is if you're going to deny that Jesus rose from the dead, you've got to answer the question, okay, why was the tomb empty? Mm. You know, some people will say, well, um, you know, uh, they were mistaken. Uh, about where the tomb was. They went to the wrong tomb. Mm, No, that just doesn't add up. That tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers. It was a big to-do. People would know exactly where that tomb was. Uh, People will say, well, uh, maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross. You know, maybe he was somehow revived while he was in the tomb, made his way back to the disciples. They mistook it for a resurrection. It's called the swoon theory. And I've heard seemingly intelligent people with a lot of initials after their names in college classes try to put that forth. You know, okay, you're telling me that after an individual like Jesus, and as we say, uh, scholars of all stripes, including the anti-Christian secularists, will admit that the crucifixion of Jesus is one of the best attested historical events in history. Mm -hmm. You're telling me that after Jesus was severely beaten, after his back was literally laid open with a cruel Roman cat of nine tails whip, uh, after all the shock and blood loss that would go from all of that, Mm -hmm. he was nailed to a cruel Roman cross, uh, left up there for six hours, and uh, literally at the end said, it is finished, cried out with a loud voice, and uh, gave up his spirit. His death had to be attested to by no less than three witnesses that were working for Rome before his body could be taken down. One of the Roman soldiers decided to make short work of this by shoving a Roman pike into Jesus' side, into his left side, and blood and water flowed from the wound. Uh, I would say, you know, first of all, there's a couple theories about that. The blood and water may indicate that uh, what's called the pericardium, the, the lining around the human heart, Uh, When the heart ruptures, it fills with fluid, both water and blood. Uh, When the Roman soldier gashed Jesus' side, it's very possible that because the pericardium was ruptured, blood and water flowed from that wound. Another thing that uh, people in morgues and, you know, forensic scientists will tell you is that when a person dies, one of the things that happens is that the blood solids and the liquids separate. Mm -hmm. And, And so if you have a cut and water flows, and then red solids flow after it, boy, you better get yourself to the emergency room. Mm. Well, it's too late because you're dead. Yeah. So, you know, Jesus couldn't have been taken down from the cross before 
his death had been certified. No one was looking for a resurrection. Some people say, well, maybe it was mistaken identity. You know, Jesus had a disciple called the twin, and maybe that twin was a twin of Jesus, and he looked like him, and they saw him, oh, he's risen from the dead. Well, there's a problem with that, uh, a couple problems with that. First of all, who was the twin? A guy named Thomas. Mm. That was his nickname. Yeah. Thomas had a very uh, well-worked idea of, of what it would take for him to believe Jesus rose from the dead. Right. He said, unless I stick my finger in the nail prints in his hand yep. and my hand in the gash in his side, I will not believe. Don't come to me with any of this lookalike stuff. Yep. You know, he thought the other disciples had flipped their lids. Right. Well, Jesus appears and he says, uh, Thomas, reach forth your finger, put it into my hands. Reach forth your hand, put it in my side. Be not unbelieving, but believing. Yep. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Mm -hmm. He understood who Jesus was based upon the resurrection. So, Don, I guess that that's what I would say. Why am I a Christian as opposed to being a Buddhist? Uh, why am I a Christian? Uh, my upbringing was largely atheistic. Why am I no longer an atheist? I think it comes down to one thing. Uh, not only uh, have I taken a look at this evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, but in a spiritual way, I've met him. I have a personal relationship with him through faith, and he's changed my life. Uh, so, you know, when we say, why Christianity versus anything else, people say, well, you know, someone who was following Islam could say they changed life. Look at Cat Stevens, he became Yusuf Islam, that seemed like a change of life. But that's a guy who's putting his faith and trust in a guy who's dead, Muhammad. Mm. Uh, we're putting our faith and trust in the one who's alive. That's right. And that's Jesus Christ, and that's why as opposed to any other religious system, any other ism, any other uh, philosophy, uh, any other way of looking at spirituality, we believe Jesus because yeah. he not only told the truth, he not only exemplified the truth, he certainly was no hypocrite, and he verified the truth by rising from the dead in a moment of history. Yeah, amen. So. Amen. We just celebrated all of that this yeah. Easter weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah so well, it's thanks. nice and fresh. You know? It is, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's what it is yeah. every day. Yeah. yeah, to be honest. Well, thanks, thanks, Don, for, for that. I hope that, that helps you out there. Uh, lots of questions coming in. I can barely keep up with them. Um, I had a question from Crystal. She asked if we could define uh, the soul and the spirit. What's the biblical definition of a soul and a, and a spirit? Yeah, it does uh, appear that there is some kind of uh, a distinction. Yeah. Uh, in uh, the, the Greek language, you know, there's a, a passage that we find uh, in the book of First uh, Thessalonians uh, where, you know, again, uh, there seems to be a distinction made uh, between mind, soul, body, and spirit. Uh, let me uh, read it for you uh, so I don't lead you uh, astray. Uh, in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, we read, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Now, uh, again, there's two ways of looking at this. Uh, there are those who say that uh, this body, soul, and spirit being re re referred to here uh, is part of what it means that we're made in the image and likeness of God. Just as God is triune, he is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so God has made us an inferior uh, form of the Trinity in that all of us are body, soul, and spirit. Uh, we're, we're triune in a sense uh, underneath all of that. Uh, there are those who will say, well, you know, that's kind of nitpicking because sometimes uh, these uh, words can be used almost interchangeably. 
Uh, some people will say, well, you know, we have the material nature of man and the immaterial nature of man. And sometimes these words describe aspects of what this immaterial nature of man is. I hope I'm not causing anybody's eyes to glaze over yet. But uh, getting to the essence of your question, if uh, you buy the fact that these are distinct components here, uh, the word spirit in Greek is pneuma. Uh, it carries the idea of that which allows us to have a relationship with God or even the life principle that animates us. You know, science can tell us an awful lot uh, about uh, you know uh, how the body works and how life works, but the life principle, the thing that actually animates us, eludes us. We don't know exactly what that is. We can only see what it does, almost like gravity in that sense. We can measure it, but we can't actually determine what it is. Uh, in the book of Genesis, we are told that when God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Okay, so that idea of breathing into man's nostrils, and he became a, a living soul at that point. Uh, there are those who believe that that is what the spirit is all about. The spirit is that which allows us to have the life principle, and it is that which is, in a sense, born again. When we come to faith in Christ, it allows us to relate to God spiritually, if you will. And there, there's evidence to support that. Uh, the soul, uh, it's interesting in Greek, it's the word suke. Uh, we get our term psychology from that. And it refers to, say, the emotions of man and the rational capacities of man and uh, the, the inner workings of a human being that allows us to be interpersonal uh, with one another. Uh, you know, the processes of the brain, if you will. We would probably refer to that more as the horizontal matters of the heart. Hmm. Uh, that's what the suke is all about. And the body, obviously, uh, the soma, if you will, is this physical stuff. And it's funny how one tends to interact uh, with the other. Yep. Uh, you can't really, you know, leave one uh, and go along with others for the ride. Yep. You know, when God, uh, for instance, I, I think of uh, Psalm 103, where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who forgives all your sins. Okay, that sounds like something that relates to the spirit. Mm -hmm. Who heals all your diseases, that mm -hmm. sounds like something that relates to the body. Yep. Uh, who uh, uh, ransoms your soul from hell again, the spiritual side of man. Who fills your life with good things so that your youth's renewed like the eagles. Well, that tends to refer to that suke, the emotions and so on. Mm -hmm. You know, all that is within me, uh, the psalmist yeah. said there in Psalm 103, has yeah. to do with all of that. So is it, you know, you know, are, are we three-part human beings? Well, the problem with the three-part human beings is that Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your, gar your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that means, are we four-part four human <laughs> beings? You know, you can take it a little too far. Yeah. Uh, there are those who say we have this material side and this immaterial side. That's kind of where I park it, in a sense. But I think by looking at some of these components that describe uh, the innermost parts uh, that God wants to work upon, mm. you know, the, the, the soul and the spirit and, you know, the body and how all that comes together, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, renewing our minds uh, by the word of God, blessing the Lord uh, with all of our soul. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, uh, our spirit bearing witness with God's spirit that we are his children. Right. We see all of these things coming into play. Yeah. So, in, in essence, that's what the scripture says about that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, very good. It's a great... Yeah. 
Uh, question, Crystal. Thank you for that. I hope that, that helps you out. Really good question. Uh, question from uh, the Christian Lens is the username. Uh, the Bible says drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, my sister drinks excessively and smokes and gets drunk and high, yet she believes in Christ. How does this passage apply to her? Well, you know, I'm sorry to hear that your sister is in that set of circumstance. You know, when someone's reaching for anesthesia all the time, it probably means yeah. there is a tremendous amount of pain okay. going on in their lives. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes when you see addictive behavior, uh, that's what you see going on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, the scripture does speak about those who are genuine born again Christians, but uh, build upon the foundation of their faith in Christ uh, with wood, hay, and stubble. First Corinthians chapter three speaks about this. Mm. There are other Christians who build upon the foundation of faith we have in Christ with gold, silver, and precious stones. Mm. Uh, the difference between wood, hay, and stubble and gold, silver, and precious stones is a picture of what God does in our lives, the permanent eternal things, yep. and the things that our human flesh does for good or for ill. I mean, you can mm. do nice things religiously and it still can be wood, hay, and stubble right. if you're trying to do it to impress God or to impress other people or things yeah. like that. When we get into the very presence of God, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says, our God's a consuming fire. Mm -hmm. In other words, nothing that's impermanent uh, remains or abides in his presence. Yeah. There are going to be Christians who are going to find themselves on that day who invested themselves in feeding their flesh. Uh, or maybe even being religious and trying to impress God yeah. through their own human grit, uh, you know, and they're going to discover something. They're going to discover that all those things that God didn't do in their lives or that God didn't lead them to do in their lives are going to be consumed. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's interesting. The scripture says that if we build with gold, silver, and precious stones, we're going to receive a reward for that. Yeah. Now that boggles my mind. You talk about uh, <laughs> a, a strange thing to meditate on if the only things that are going to last forever are the things that God does mm -hmm. Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 yep. the only thing we can build upon uh, really is just letting the Lord use us speaking his word walking in love letting the Holy Spirit minister through us not doing things for God but letting God do things in and through us yeah. these are the things that are going to last forever he did it anyway yeah. Why do I get a reward on all of that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, you know, it, it's funny how uh, even in ministry, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well, Dave, that there's sometimes when God uses us the most radically, mm. when we feel it least personally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, there, there have been times, and I you know it probably doesn't happen to you because you're such a wonderful person and you don't miss a beat. Of course. But, uh, I'll, I'll humor but, you. Uh, but there's times where I'll be speaking and I really just don't feel like the Lord's doing much. Yeah you know, of anything, you know, and I kind of get done on, well, uh, I guess everyone can't be a winner or something like that. You know, I just didn't, I just didn't really feel your presence while I was doing that, Lord. And people will come up to me and they'll have tears in their eyes and say, oh my gosh, God's never spoken to me more powerfully than in that message. And I'll yeah. go, that message, <laughs> that one that just <laughs> happened there. Yeah. Well, that's an example of God doing something in and through us. Yeah. Not because I felt it, you know, the flesh can do the feely thing on us and, yep. and deceive us quite a bit. Right. Sometimes we really think we're knocking out of the ballpark and all we're doing is preaching to ourselves, yeah. or praying to ourselves or singing to ourselves or yeah. serving, you know, to ourselves or to please other people. But when the Lord does something through us, it's just marvelous. It's last forever. Now back to 
uh, you're professing uh, a relative, you know, that is uh, really involved with addictive behavior. Mm. Well, first of all, I think she's missing out. Mm. Uh, I think she's trying to find uh, a sense of peace, a sense of joy, a sense of relief and release and healing from a bottle instead of the Bible, from yeah. distilled spirits rather than the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And there's a lot of Christians out there that I run into that really settle for less in their walk with God. I'm not saying they aren't saved. And you know, the interesting thing is in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15, it says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. In other words, they're gonna have nothing to show right. in this life. Now, if someone lives a life, uh, like you mentioned, that it consistently seems to be rejecting or refuting the things of God, you know, um, the first casualty of that, I believe, is assurance of faith. Yeah. You know, if somebody, if someone lives that way, you know, Simon Peter said in Second Peter chapter one and verse ten, therefore, my beloved brethren, make your calling election sure. Uh, you know, I don't want to live my life in such a way that, uh, you know, if there's a memorial that's done and I'm the guest of honor, that my family's sitting there in the front row going, man, I just really wonder where Scott is right now. Right. You know, I don't want there to be any doubt. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, when that death dew lies cold on my brow, I don't want there to be any doubt yeah. that, you know, I've been walking with Jesus. Yeah. And uh, knowing him and letting him work in and through our life is just too good of a thing to miss. So. You know, the thing I would just encourage you uh, about your sister is being judged for her behaviors. I I'm sure nobody condemns her more for that than she does. I think yeah. she's probably got it covered. Yeah. Um, you know, pray for her. That's the best thing that you can do, that God would speak to her heart. But, you know, either pray that God would bring someone along or pray for yourself that there'd be a teachable moment that would say, you know, um, it just seems like there's some kind of pain in your life that keeps driving you back to all of this. Um, yeah. What is that? Right. You know, can I pray for you about that? Yeah. Uh, and, and just the, the, the fact of caring. And, and there are wonderful ministries that you can get involved in. You can get involved with the ministry here at our church that can come alongside people that struggle with addictive behavior and show them how they can, uh, you know, not be recovered. Uh, you know, I mean, there's some people who say, well, we believe in one step recovery you get into jesus great okay how do you do that right. um you need to have some tools to be able to battle that beastie of addictive behavior because yeah. there's no such thing as an ex-addict in a sense we all have that possibility it's like saying i'm an ex-sinner uh i've got that sin nature in me but yeah. god has given me all the resources necessary to be more than a conqueror in christ if i learn how to skillfully apply them first to my life and then as I apply them to my life, be able to come alongside other people and help them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do we, it's such an interesting discussion. How, how do we ensure that we're doing things in the spirit and not in the flesh? Because it's so tricky. I think about even the other day outside the grocery store, there was a homeless couple and I bought some groceries for them, you know, and the rest of the day I felt great about myself, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, oh, that was such a great thing. Pull the muscle, you know, patting yourself. Yeah, that's on the back. right. Like, yeah. Man, that's just not that's just so generous. To me. And I was so, yeah. you know, and I, you know, just realized, like, my goodness, that's there's no reward in that because it was, it felt great to do it, you know. So, how, I mean, how do we ensure we're doing things in the spirit? Because there is reward in ministry. It's yeah. great to lead worship and teach, and you know, it's yeah. it's a rewarding thing, and that's okay. Yeah, but, you know, I I, th I think it's simpler than we make it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I've been a Christian since 1973 and I've 
certainly had my ups and downs and thinking that I was wonderful at one moment and then did a spiritual face plant the next. Mm. But, uh, you know, the, the simplest thing is this, you know, I, I just tell people, and I know they think this is cliche, but it really isn't. <sighs> when I wake up in the morning, before my feet hit the carpet, before I roll out of bed, I just say, Lord, I just have to ask you now to fill me again anew and afresh with your Holy Spirit. Please live your life out through me today because if I try to do Christianity for you, I might go and visit some people or I might go and and do some sacrificial gesture. I might pray with someone to receive Christ. But if I'm doing it in the power of the flesh, um, there's going to be nothing good that comes out of that. Lord, I just want you to live through me and love through me. I want your word to dwell in me richly today. Please help that to happen. And you know, that's not the kind of prayer that if you pray, God's going to fold his arm and go, I don't know. It's kind of fun watching that Richard's kid struggle a little bit. You know, let's say, no, he's going to do that. He will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Luke chapter 11 and verse 13 said, and we receive the power of the Holy Spirit by faith, you know? And so really important that that becomes part of our routine, part of our life. I never tire of that because it doesn't seem like God ever gets tired a blessing in that way. Yeah. And and here's the other deal though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, say, well, I tried that. And then, you know, someone cut me off in traffic and I, you know, gave them the universal sign and I, you know, my, okay. All right. What happens when you blow it? Well, a couple of things. First of all, if we confess our sins, mm-hmm. he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth, not in us. Yeah. We got to admit we've got a sin problem. And like I say, by 10 o'clock, I can get distracted, I can get distressed, I can get depressed. But if I realize that's happening and I realize God's tapping me on the shoulder and saying, "Uh, you've taken your life back in your own hands again, kid. How's that working for you? Shouldn't you give it back to me? Yeah. Um, You know, as often as I need to do that in a day, I need to do that in a day. And I think the best single definition I've ever heard of Christian maturity when it's all said and done is... Shorting, shortening the distance of time it takes mm. between the moment I take my life into my own hands and start to get religious or start to get rowdy or radical yeah. or, or off the beam. Shortening the distance between that and recognizing that, turning back to God, asking for that renewed power of the Spirit, asking for that forgiveness so that there's no static on my spiritual line. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the shorter amount of distance I can make that the better. And, and yeah. it's, it's uh, science and it's an art. Right. You know, it's something we'll be working on until we see the Lord. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, a couple of minutes left. Is, uh, if you can, a real quick question. Sure. Here, another Easter theme from yep. John. Uh, several people uh, that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection didn't recognize him at first. Was his res- resurrected body very different? Or why was it that, that people didn't recognize Jesus at first? You know, it's interesting. The Road to Emmaus account uh, that we find in the book of Luke says their eyes were restrained so that they did not know who he was. Mm. It appears that the Lord didn't open their eyes until the right time because he wanted to drive home a particular truth for them. Mm. Uh, you know, I think uh, it, it really illustrates an important point in that unless the Lord opens our eyes right. to be able to see his truth, God's truth is spiritually discerned. Yeah. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Yeah. He can't receive them because they are spiritually discerned. I think the Lord will remind us of that, and I think we see the illustrations of that. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons that people didn't recognize Jesus after his resurrection is they weren't looking for him. Mm. 
They, they didn't believe he was ever coming back. Right. You mentioned that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, maybe they were emotionally overwhelmed. Maybe it was dark. There were a lot of different factors. But the most interesting one is that Road to Emmaus one mm. where their eyes were restrained. And then when he sat down with them and he took bread, not their bread, but he took his bread and mm. gave it to him. It was in the act of him giving to them yeah. that they recognized who he was. Their eyes were open. Right. You know, and so I think there's a not so subtle hint there that uh, the Lord's got to be the one that opens our eyes and our understanding to him. Even in in our day-to-day lives, Lord, open my understanding and my eyes to be able to see what you're up to. Yeah, Yeah. that's very true. There are people in my life, I've been praying for their salvation, and it's really got to that point where I see it's just a matter of God opening their eyes. I've shared in several ways you know yeah. all ways i can think of and you yeah. just see there's just a yeah people a ask curtain. me how many how many people have you saved in your ministry well, none <laughs> yeah <laughs> Man, i hope terrible not. ministry yeah. hope none <laughs> right. but no it's it's the lord that has to do that changing yeah for sure absolutely and, and that takes the pressure off of us we share That's god's right. truth we speak it in love we give ourselves as living sacrifices to exemplify christ We've done our job. That's right. We trust the Lord with the rest. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. great question, John. Great questions today. We're at the end of our show here. Thank you so much for being a part of Reason for Hope. uh, Time flies. Yeah, it does. It really does. (laughs) I have to keep an eye on it all the time. But um, we're in the book of Ezekiel tonight. Yeah, we are. Uh, Really fascinating chapter in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, The working title we have is, Are You a Prophet or a Loss? Uh, Mm. Because uh, Ezekiel really deals with some very interesting, very relevant things about being able to recognize a real message from God and a clever counterfeit. So mm, we're going to explore that tonight. All right, we'll stick around for about 30 minutes. We'll be going live again. If not, we'll see you tomorrow. Same place, same time. Reason for Hope. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.